Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to The Catch with John Fisher on Blog Talk Radio, connecting life to faith. We're just trying to get it together, trying to help the fellow Yes, well, welcome everyone to another episode of Block Talk Radio, The Catch, uh, where we love to talk to people who are out in the marketplace in various aspects and ways of life and seeking to uh, take their faith and make it a part of of their world, their work their play, uh, all, all of what goes on. Um, yeah, I, I've, I've been spending most of my life uh, trying to eradicate that uh, imaginary line we, we, many of us who grew up in the church grew up with uh, between things that are supposedly sacred and secular and uh, uh, finally realizing no for a follower of Christ uh, everything is sacred. And what does that mean? And that's what we like to think about and talk about here at The Catch in, in many different ways because we are, we are really concerned about our mission in the world and, and we're concerned about the truth that God has given us uh, through his Holy Spirit and how we can share that with our communities, our neighborhoods, where we live, work, play, all of that. So uh, it's an, ex- an exciting way to live. And um, so each week we find out something new about how our faith merges with the culture in which we live. And uh, this time, uh, this week is no exception um, we have an exceptional uh, person with us today. Uh, her name is Ruth Williams. Dr. Ruth Williams has been a, an esteemed thought leader and advocate in ophthalmology for over three decades. Uh, she's been described as an inspired, optimistic, and forward-thinking leader with the highest of integrity. She served as president of the American Academy of Ophthalmology, expanded a young ophthalmologist programming and advocated for increased representation of, of uh, young ophthalmologists, a strategy for developing new leadership that is now modeled uh, in organization globally. And she is currently chief medical editor of iNet magazine. Um, I can go on and on, but that's enough. Uh, uh, she is a, a, a believer who works with diseases, specializing in diseases to the eye. And uh, uh, interestingly enough, I talked about uh, the eye today in my catch. Uh, and, I, and I wasn't even thinking about Dr. Williams. It just, I just, I, I lit upon the way in which 
we are talking so much with our eyes these days. Now we're all wearing masks and how it's changed uh, our way of interaction with people. We're going to talk about that, too, tonight. So um, please welcome uh, to Blog Talk Radio uh, our guest today, Dr. Ruth Williams. Welcome, Ruth. Thank you, John. Thanks so much for inviting me. I'm um, intrigued by your introduction and your words about the eye already. (laughs) Well, well, that's great. Well, actually, why don't we why don't we start there? Because you know, I I got going on this this morning because uh, I, I've been pondering this. For, we've been doing this for a year now. You know, walking around with masks mm-hmm. on our faces, and uh, and and we only see people's eyes. And it's interesting to me how that has affected. Uh, I'm thinking right now, I'm thinking especially of our relationships with strangers, people we don't know, mm-hmm. people we meet in the supermarket, uh, you know, ha- we're communicating perhaps even more with our eyes uh, than ever before. Um, I don't know where I want to go with this, but but you obviously <laughs> have got to have thought about it a lot. Uh, talk to us about about the importance of our eyes and, and, and how we receive and, and give in both, in both ways through our eyes. Well, I think you're correct. Um, so much of our communication um, comes through our eyes, but, um, but you know, that it really is just part of the way we communicate. And I, I've found uh, seeing patients for a year when I'm masked and the patient is masked, it's exhausting as a physician hmm. because, Mm-hmm. we're having to um, articulate our words so much more carefully, especially with the elderly population that I work with who often have hearing loss as well. And so our words are muffled. Um, and, and then we have to work so hard to communicate with the parts of our faces that, that are visible. So it's more, it's more energy. And um, I, I, as I mentioned, um, at, at least as physicians, we feel exhausted, but my patients are tired too. Uh, on the other hand, it's it's correct that so much happens between the eyes, looking into each other's eyes. And as an ophthalmologist, I'm a glaucoma specialist. I get to really look into people's eyes because I get to go <laughs> past in and look back inside. So, um, you know, it's it's um, metaphorical and liter- liter- literary, uh, uh, mm-hmm. literal. But mm-hmm. um, you're right. It's it's an interesting year. I think there's a loss in our communication when we're covered with a mask. Mm -hmm. There is a loss. Do you think, though, that maybe there is a gain? uh, Well, I'm I'm thinking the standpoint of uh, a blind blind person, for instance, Mm -hmm. um, you know, their their hearing becomes much more acute because Mm -hmm. uh, trying to make up for that. And I, I wonder if it, it, does that, do you think that might apply here where we're, we're trying to make up for, for the, the parts of our face we can't see? So I think what you're asking is, are we learning to communicate with our eyes yeah. more and look at people more? Yeah. I mean, that's an interesting concept. Uh, yeah. Possibly. I think, 
when the masks come off, it'll be an interesting time to ask that of one another. You know, has that changed uh, the way we perceive others in some way? Um, uh, uh, Let's ask that question a year from now when we're not wearing, well, whenever it is, we're not going to be wearing masks. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) Very interesting. I, I, I talked, uh, I ended up talking about kindness uh, and, and, and I called the piece this morning, kind eyes. Uh, do you think we can, do you think we can, can express things like kindness and, and welcoming, welcoming and acceptance through our eyes? And can we, you know, can we use our eyes for things like that? Um. Well, sure. Um, I think we communicate a lot with our eyes, both um, intentionally and unintentionally. So um, there's so much expression. You know, there there's so many muscles um, around the eyes. So um, a lot gets expressed through our face. Um, um, certainly, that can happen. Yeah, yeah. Um, people feel kindness. If you have kindness in your heart, people feel it. Um, it, it does it get expressed through the eyes or something else, but mm-hmm. you know, when, mm-hmm. when we, when we are exuding kindness, it comes out in our pores, I think. <laughs> oh, that's great. That's great. Well, you know, you've been, uh, you mentioned, uh, when we talked earlier that, uh, you were in medical school in the eighties and, uh, that there were, you know, obviously, must have been uh at especially at that time uh, uh some barriers for you to overcome as a woman in this field can you, you talk to us a little bit about that definitely there um there were gender barriers in the eighties and they persist to this day in fact, I just uh wrote an editorial i do an editorial every month on the gender pay gap in ophthalmology, which exists in all of medicine but um, you know, I really am aware of it more in retrospect than I was at the time. So, you know, when you're in the middle of culture and, you know, there are certain rules about culture, you're not thinking, you know, oh, this is, you know, uh, you know, this has to be different. Um, you're thinking, how, how can I cope and get through it? So, you know, as a young woman, I knew what I wanted to do. I was very clear about that. And uh, I wasn't surprised that life is hard. It, it continues to be challenging for all of us in different ways. So the barriers I confronted were just barriers that um, I accepted were things to overcome. So I was a very good student. I was very um, diligent. Um, and if I couldn't get something one way, I figured out how to get a, another. So it's more in retrospect when I see that we've made great strides in gender equality, um, at least in um, our professions um, in, in medicine. Um, we're not there yet, but we've done a, a great deal of work in the last 30 years. But when I look back, I, you know, I have these stories to tell that are, you know, really horrifying um, in retrospect, but they're only fun to tell to other people who have also had those stories because in a sense, people don't care what happened in, in the 1980s. So what, I, I could tell them, but what I think is more important is to communicate that everyone has barriers in their lives of some sort, and that if we have a clear purpose, you know, that being resentful about whatever barriers ones have isn't the point. Um, you know, we don't want to be resentful or, um, um, you know, gripe about it all the time, but work for change in, in a positive way and also keep the goal in mind of, you know, what is it that you wanted to do? In my case, 
Um, I wanted to be a physician, and later I figured out that I wanted to be an ophthalmologist, and later I figured out I wanted to be a glaucoma specialist, and later I figured out some other things that I wanted to do. Um, So, um, you know, to me, um, having that purpose and that goal and that knowing your inner self is way more powerful than the barriers. And I'll say one more thing that I think is really important about uh, the gender issues that um, women in business and, and law and medicine experienced in past decades is um, that in this era where we're thinking about some racial inequities and, you know, mm-hmm. looking at that, in no way am I comparing, you know, being a woman to, uh, and those issues to race because they're very, very different in both quantity and quality. But I will say this. It's made me very, very, very sensitive. So when you hear about, you know, things like, you know, microaggressions or systemic barriers, I go, oh, well, yeah, I know about those. Those those are the kinds of things that happen to me. I'm not comparing them apples to apples, but I'm saying the concepts are there. So it's made me very, very, very sensitive to people who um, aren't, for whatever reason, whatever the reason is, whether you're, you know, you have a physical disability or if it's a racial issue or a gender issue who, you know, aren't in the in-group and um, don't have the assumed um, benefits. So you have to work for Mm. them in a different way. Mm. So um, it's made me very, very, very sensitive. That and I've also, mm -hmm. go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Finish. Uh, Just saying we also have to work to do structural things that need to be fixed. So, um, you know, there are certain structural things that, that have to be fixed. For example, um, in, in um, medicine, you know, 30 years ago, it would have never entered our minds, even though we knew it was wrong, it would have never entered our minds to complain about sexual harassment from, say, a senior surgeon who was teaching us. It would have mm. never entered our minds. It happened all the time. We knew it was wrong. But we never thought, oh, the system needs to change. But the system has changed, and not enough, but it's changed a lot. And now if that happened, um, you know, there's a pathway for addressing it and that, um, you know, medical students and residents in training are taken seriously and, um, you know, there's a, there's a path for addressing that. So, um, so some of the structural things have changed, and that's a great thing. Have you encountered any, you were talking about um, how uh, the gender issue has made you sensitive, more sensitive towards other people's, um, uh, uh, you know, racism, for instance. Um, have you encountered any of that in your practice? You mean, what do you mean? Am I more sensitive or? No, no in people, in the people that you work with people people who who feel like um you know the world isn't fair and uh things are not equitable for them do you have any of, of that uh going on well well i'm not sure if you're referring to my patients or my colleagues but yeah. let me talk about my patients because it's an yeah. amazing thing so i treat a chronic chronic blind disease so the patients i take care of have a disease that is not going to be cured that we manage and control and prevent blindness in most, most cases. But um, it's, you know, it's a, it's a long-term relationship, which I love. So 
Um, and, and it's a relationship with people who we have a common goal with each person that walks in. My goal is to save their vision. But what happens over time is that um, um, I'm able to really have a powerful, very personal, very intimate relationship with these people who, you know, we're fighting for their vision for sometimes, you yeah. know, 25 years together. So you get to know people. And the other thing I love, love, love about healthcare is that it's all kinds of people. It's not one kind of person. I yeah. could have a homeless person um, without healthcare insurance in one door and I go in the next door and, you know, I could have a CEO of a fortune 50. So it's, the full range of the human mm. experience. So I get to know people. And yes, absolutely, especially in this last year of COVID and um, mm-hmm. racial unrest and, and the mm-hmm. peaceful protests and the riots, the destructive riots, all of that, it's given me an extraordinary opportunity to ask people of different backgrounds. So what do you think about this? What's your experience? How do you mm. feel? How do you feel when X, Y, Z happens and they tell you with so much trust because it's a trusted relationship? So I've had that incredible privilege of entering into the lives uh, and experiences of people from a full range of, uh, you know, the American uh, experiment. Well, so I didn't realize that about uh, glaucoma is something that you can't cure, but you can manage it. Is that what we're saying? That's correct. So glaucoma is a chronic blinding disease that we manage with um, a number of things, injections, drops, lasers, many different kinds of surgeries. It's, it's very highly sophisticated care. Um, mm. It's very um, data-driven and evidence-based, um, our care. But what's cool about glaucoma is there's not one way to, to get the job done. So it's a whole palette of treatments. And uh, that's why the relationship becomes so important is because we tailor the treatment to what's going on with a particular patient. Um, and so it's very empowering in some ways, meaning we can most of the time prevent people from blindness, but um, it's humbling in other ways in that we really never get rid of the disease. So it, it's mm-hmm. a fight to the end. Uh, it's a fight I love um, mm-hmm. because, wow. because we never finish it. And it's kind of like life, you know, you never really finish uh, the work of life. Wow. Wow. Did you know that when you started this? Uh, Or is that something that you learned later on? Well, no. I mean, you you know, life is a journey of learning if you're paying attention. So, um, no, I I fell in love with ophthalmology. I I picked ophthalmology in two ways. One was love and one was, uh, you know, a spreadsheet. So, when I was a medical student and doing the, the cadaver dissection, and which I loved, it's so interesting. It's like a, it's, it's a, a, a glimpse into the creation of a human being. It's kind of unbelievable. But when we got to the eye, I literally was bowled over by the beauty and intricacy of it. It's so tiny. It's so intricate. It's so exquisite is the only word I could say. And I didn't decide to become an ophthalmologist then, but I just thought, oh, this is like the most remarkable thing I've ever seen in my life. And uh, later on, um, when I chose to become an ophthalmologist, it was literally a spreadsheet. So, you know, pros and cons of these different specialties, and it just won out. My decision to do glaucoma was probably, it was just a good fit with my personality. Um, We find our ways into things that really play on our gifts. Um, Treating glaucoma requires uh, a lot of, like, data analysis, um, 
but uh, uh, but a lot of relationship and care as well. It's it's a job that requires meticulous attention to detail, and a big heart. Mm. Mm. Wow. You know, here, and a fighting spirit. I'll add that. A fighting. Well, and then, like you say, it's a long. It appear it's a long term relationship. It is. That That's no my idea. favorite part. Huh. Yeah, so you you really get a chance to know people um, over over time. You do because it's recurrent, and also there's something sacred and holy about that space in a doctor's office. If you trust your doctor and have a great relationship, where the door closes, you don't have the baggage of your own family. It's safe, mm. it's private. It can't be repeated anywhere else. You know that person, and you know they're in your corner. So it creates a freedom for discussion um it, it it you wouldn't believe the things people feel comfortable saying and they know it's not going to go anywhere and um so i just wow. think it's a as i said a safe and sacred space um in <laughs> in those kinds of relationships that go on for a long time yeah, it sounds like you're a, a psychiatrist on the side <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, no but i have i have, I have great respect for uh wise and smart and well you know a psychiatrist mm-hmm. who know their craft well. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, along these lines, too, Ruth, I'm thinking about, uh, you know, what we talk about a lot here at the catch is, is, is the intersection of of faith and and real life, and um, you know, all of life is sacred. How does how does being a Christian affected? your work, your, your priorities, your your treatment of patients, all these things, interaction with colleagues. Talk about that. If you can. So um, I agree with you, you know, um, I I agree that, you know, all all the work is sacred work. Everything we do is sacred because it's not about the work, even though it is eventually, but it's really about who we are in, um, and, and our, our connection to God and the transformation that's going on in that. And then the work comes as a byproduct of that really. So um, I do see my work as um, sacred work. I see my hands as the hands of God um, that, um, Mm. uh, but, and I don't see it separate from everything else I do. Although I do think that I have a particular skill to use and a particular, a particular, training that can do special work so we all have something special to do and yet none of us are um we're all equally special how's that sound um but what what i do i feel very called to do this is this is what i meant to do and um, i've never questioned that um it's it felt like a very clear path i know everybody doesn't get a clear path i know that but for me it was and so um, we have very, very hard days when things mm-hmm. don't go well or, um, you know, things, you know, someone loses vision despite what you do or it's just an exhausting day. But when I come home exhausted or sad or whatever it is, I always know that I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. So there's a comfort in that. And I know there's meaning in it too. So, mm-hmm. you know, the advice I give my kids is, you know, find work that has meaning to it. Mm. You know, some mm. meaningfulness to it. So how does my my work uh, um, interact with my faith? Um, I mean, it doesn't interact with my faith. It is my faith. <laughs> so yeah. it's, it's 
all the same thing to me. Mm. Mm. Do you ever see any miracles in your work? <laughs> That's I love that question. So I'm going to give you two answers. Um, <laughs> so when you're not expecting. So first of all, I don't like the miracle question because to me, the miracle is that this stuff works in the first place. You know, that, that all this nerves and muscles and, um, mm. you know, mm. stuff and fluid in the eye, that it all comes together and makes an image in the brain and that we can see things. And oh. I don't really know what you see. You know, <laughs> you don't know what I see because we don't know what each other sees, but, you know, that that works in the first place. So for me, the, the miracle is that we have a, a world that's been created with humans and animals and uh, plants and that the laws of physics, um, you know, are actually there. So that's the miracle to me. But um, I will give you an answer. Um, yes, I believe in miracles. Um, I, I tell my patients when they ask, you know, do you believe in miracles in the 21st century? And I say, let me walk you over to our surgery center over here where we um, put, you know, reattach retinas and we take out cataracts and we do glaucoma surgeries and um, we do corneal transplants. Um, are you kidding me? We do, you know, there are miracles happening over here every day. So I think there are different ways for miracles to happen, but do I believe in them? You bet I do. But the mm. real miracles happen in relationship when people's perspective is changed or, um, you know, people's um, hearts are transformed. That's the real miracle. Are you ever and I'll able tell you to one story? Mm-hmm. Oh, good. I want a story. <laughs> so one story, yeah, the stories are the best, aren't they? Um, I had a family, um, a, 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 a girl I took care of. I started when she was three, and she's married and has a baby now, and she still is my patient every now and then. But she was born with a congenitive of the eye that caused glaucoma. And um, when she was born, her parents were just devastated, and they came to me and they said, you know, in our church we've been heal- praying for healing for our daughter and um, she keeps not getting healed. And so do you think there's something wrong with our faith? Hmm. And I said, I said to them, I said, I don't remember this, by the way. They told me this later. I said hmm. to them, let me, let me present it to you in a different way. The mother had the, has the same genetic defect. So the mother's blind from her disease. I said, I said, let me present it in a different way. If God said, I have this precious child that I would like to give you and I'd like this child to grow up in your home. And, but I want to tell you one thing about her. She's going to have vision problems her whole life and she might even be blind someday. I think you would be God speaking. I think you would be, or I imagine how God might ask something. I think you would be the perfect family to raise this precious daughter because you already have one person that struggled with this and has lived a beautiful loving full life in Mm. spite of it so i think you're the best family for this daughter this is what i said to them i don't even know who gave me those words well maybe i do they came back to me (laughs) 10 years or 20 years later and said that completely changed our lives and our family because we accepted our daughter and her vision loss Mm. and we decided that we were going to give her the best life we could and we quit asking that question we quit asking god to heal Mm. her but we just accepted what god had given us and so I think those are the kinds of things that happen, not because you think about them or you have some pat answer, but they're the words that are given to you that are just the words that are needed by someone on that day. Mm. 
Well, that's great. I love that story. Uh, do you do you have opportunities to talk? Uh, obviously, you do, and there's one. Uh, uh, ever talk to people about the Lord? Does that ever does that come up? Uh, it it in, does. I don't try to make it come up. So yeah. um, one of the things I've really tried to do, I, and I, by the way, not everyone needs to do this, but it's a choice I've made, is how mm-hmm. to talk about my faith with non-religious language. So can we come up with fresh language that is saying the exact same truth without those worn out words um, yeah. that we use all the time? Because what do they mean to someone else? They mean something to us, yeah, what do yeah. they mean? So I've worked very hard to be able to express my faith and my experience, as I say, in non-religious language, which is unbelievably powerful and very hard to do. You have to think very carefully. Does that come up with my patients? Yes, but I let my patients uh, be the ones to initiate it because um, it, if, if our yeah. faith is integrated with who we are and what we're doing, that's going to happen without us trying. We don't even have to try. It's just going to happen. So, yes, does that happen? all the time, but in different ways. And the story I just told you is, is one of, yeah. you know, dozens of stories. Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. Uh, I, I love the way you, you talked about that in terms of, of uh, language, uh, using different language. It, it, don't you think in a way it should be, uh, it should be different every time we, we talk about the Lord. Um, yeah. Because yeah. it's going to, it's going to be colored by the person we're talking to, don't you think? Yes, and by our own changing experiences. You know, we're the mm. different today than we were yesterday. So I think, I think working hard to have accurate language to describe our experience is uh, a little more work, but also really, really true. Um, yeah. And people know when you're speaking from your heart. People know when you're telling the truth. Um, people know when you're just using worn out language that you've just been you know, taught to say in Sunday school. They know that. So um, I, I, um, I find that refreshing in a way for me, too, for me to have to work that way. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, gosh. I just looked at the time and uh, it's it just <laughs> I told you it was going to go fast. And uh, it, it does, does go fast. <laughs> um but thank you. Thank you so much. Is, is there just, uh, I hate people who ask me these questions like this, but I'm going to anyway, anything, Uh-oh. any last thing you can tell us that, uh, that, that would just help us all in our own life and our own walk right now. Well, you know, yes. One closing thought just for the listeners to think about. I think one thing the COVID pandemic has um, illustrated for us, especially as Americans, is the difference between individual rights and freedom and public good and well-being. And mm. there's so many ways that's coming up in healthcare. And so I would just challenge the listeners to think about how are we as a society going to balance what's good for us as individuals versus what's good for populations of people, for my neighborhood, for my community. And it has to do with healthcare resources, you know, what kind of health insurance we're going to do as a country, um, you know, Whether vaccination rates, you know, do, if, do I wear a mask? Do I get vaccinated? Uh, you know, oh you know is it just about me or is it about my neighbor? 
so, and, and the issues are gigantic, but um, I would just challenge people just to contemplate on that for a while. Cause as Americans, we tend to think about individual freedom and yeah. I like to challenge us to think about um, community health and uh, you know, w- what that means. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, it, we, <laughs> Have you got another? Have you got another half hour? <laughs> well, this is a, a pleasure right. to talk. It's always fun to talk, and, I and your questions believe, were interesting. Yeah, I, yeah, but I can't believe we got to, to, to that one at the very end because you're right. It is such a it is such a huge question right now, um, and uh, yeah, I, I was just reading in a in a book. Uh, by Harry Blameyers talking about the post-Christian mind, saying that uh, mm. you know we're we're talking all about rights, and uh, and yet and yet the the Christian response instead of what's my right really should be what's my duty. Mm-hmm. How's that? Yes. How's that for a, <laughs> a new way to think about things? You know, uh, definitely the old way. <laughs> it's really the old way. What is my duty? What is my place in this in this community? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's really right. uh, what I hear you saying. Uh, it comes fabulous. down to that ancient question, you know, from you know f- from the from the Bible. Who is my brother? <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, who, mm-hmm. who is it? Those are questions we all have to ask. Okay. Well. We'll start there next time, Ruth. <laughs> thank you, John. Thank you. thank you. I can't thank you enough uh, for sharing this time with us. Um, and the Lord bless you and your work as you continue. Thank you thank so you. much. You Bye. Bet. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye now. Well, there you go, folks. How was that? Bye. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. Yes, lots to think about. Think about it, especially that last part. My responsibility, my corporate responsibility, where I fit into my community, great stuff. God bless you. Keep thinking. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.